Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international bestseller called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And today I actually have butterflies in my stomach because I get to introduce you to someone who wrote a book that's one of my favorites. I saw an interview with him on Bob Olson's website and I'm really thrilled. Uh, the book that I'm talking about is Your Soul's Plan, Discovering the Real Meaning of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born. Robert is a hypnotist who offers past life soul regressions and between lives soul regressions. Of course we'll have him explain exactly what they are. He also has a second book titled Your Soul's Gift, The Healing Power of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born. Robert travels internationally with his speaking and workshops and his books have been translated into 22 languages. You can learn more about him and his books at YourSoulsPlan.com and of course at WeDon'tDieRadio.com. You can look now if you want to see a picture of who it is that we're talking to. So I'm super inspired and excited to say Robert Schwartz. Thank you and welcome to We Don't Die Radio. You're welcome, Sandra. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Oh, great. I'm thrilled. Um, where are you uh, talking to us from today, if I may ask? I'm in Moorhead, Kentucky. You're in Kentucky. Aha. I am in north of Boston, Massachusetts, and it's always uh -huh. good to think where we are on the globe. Can you tell us a little bit about you and how you became you? I mean, has this been something you've been interested in ever since you were a kid, or how, you know, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about your story? Sure, I'd be happy to. Let me just begin by saying I have a website at www.yoursoulsplan.com, mm -hmm. and people who are interested can read uh, large excerpts from the books for free there. Uh, you know, I've always been interested in, in spirituality and topics like reincarnation and the deeper spiritual meaning of life challenges, uh, but my, my background is, is actually surprisingly conventional, I think, for somebody who has now written two New Age books. You know, I, mm -hmm. I grew up in a very conventional family and had a conventional education and embarked for many years on a very conventional career path. I was in the corporate sector for a number of years doing uh, marketing communications work. So I've always been a writer in some capacity, but not always writing about spirituality. And then everything changed uh, dramatically back in uh, mid 2003. And at that time, I was going through what I referred to as an existential crisis. I was very unhappy with the corporate work I was doing. I felt that it was not a unique expression of who I am as a soul. I felt that there was a plan or a higher calling for my life that I was not fulfilling, right. but I didn't know what it was. And so I tried these various conventional sorts of routes to figure out my higher calling, and none of that really shed any light on the matter. And so in May of uh, 2003, I did something that I had never done before, and that is I went to see a psychic medium. And this completely changed my life because the medium uh, explained to me the concept of spirit guides. I had never even heard that term previously. And she said a guide is a highly evolved non-physical being with whom we plan our lives before we're born and who then guides us through our lives after we come into body. And then she started to channel my spirit guides. Wow. Now, I, you know, I might not have believed that any of this was real, except that they knew everything about me without me volunteering any information. And this, of course, gave them total credibility. 
so they established their credibility in that way and then they said to me you planned your life including your biggest challenges before you were born and I will tell you I just shook my head and I said well why in the world would I have done that and they said well you did this for purposes of spiritual growth so we went on and we talked about what some of my challenges had been they told me why I had planned them before I had come into body and so I went I left that session uh, just completely blown away by this information and I, I thought about it and thought about it for weeks afterwards and the effect that it had on me was that it allowed me to review the challenging things that had happened thus far in my life and for the first time in many instances see a deeper meaning or a deeper purpose for me that was profoundly healing and I realized at that point I'm onto a concept here that can bring a similar kind of healing to other people and that was the moment when I first started to think about writing books on the subject. Oh, I'm so glad you did because your book, the, the one that I read, is just so filled with stories. And it really took me and I'm sure your readers out of a victim mode. And actually, the, even the concept that we picked our purpose here in those challenges. Well, that that is very much one of the intentions behind the books is to help people to to understand that you are the powerful creator of your life. You are not a victim. Uh, you know, the channel of consciousness Abraham classifies uh, about 25 different uh, emotional or mental states that one can be in. And the ranking from high to low is from highest vibration to lowest. Mm -hmm. The single lowest vibrational state a human being can be in is victim consciousness. And when you are in victim consciousness, because your vibration is so low, you magnetize to yourself more experiences that seem to confirm to you that you are in fact a victim so it can be tough to pull yourself out of that but one way to do it is to understand that you are the powerful creator uh, and you are the one who planned your biggest challenges before you came into body man that's really really brilliant I didn't know that about the lowest vibration being victim yeah. and it's hard once we're in it and you can actually see people that are in it and bad stuff keeps coming to them and you know that sort of thing exactly Wow. Um, I just want to, you gave me goosebumps when you talked about our spirit guides, and I've never heard it said that way, that um, we plan our lives before we come here with them, and then they're with us throughout our lives. I mean, it's so easy for many of us to just think we're alone, you know, road warriors, and um, but uh, one guide, two guides, several guides. The Well, let, let me back up and, and first explain how... I have access to this information. Mm -hmm. um, what happened after the session with the medium uh, that I described a moment ago was that I, I, I prayed and I, I basically said, Dear God, if you want me to write a book on this subject, I will, but I need some help finding out what people planned before they were born. How can mm -hmm. I do that? And the, the saying of this prayer magnetized to me, brought into my life, uh, some very gifted mediums and channels who in one way or another could find out what someone planned before they were born. One of them hears the conversations we have with each other before we're born. So we actually went into people's pre-birth planning sessions. Another one channels people's souls, people's higher selves. One of them uh, was very gifted at channeling angels, some of whom serve as guides to people once they're in body. So I could talk to the angels or the guides directly and ask them what did this person plan before he or she was born. Another one of them uh, channels uh, 
he uses the name Yeshua, but it's Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so we talk directly with Jesus and ask him, what did people plan before they were born? So we have these different sources in spirit. And now, uh, as a hypnotist, uh, I do between lives regressions in which the clients themselves, uh, part of their consciousness transitions to the other side, talks with what is known as the Council of Elders, the beings who oversee the cycle of reincarnation on Earth. And so the clients can find out through a direct experience by talking to the Council what they planned for this lifetime. So in the books, Your Soul's Plan and Your Soul's Gift, what I did was that I would interview someone about a common life challenge. And it's, it's everything you can think of that we experience here on Earth. And then with the mediums and channels, we would ask Spirit, did this person plan this experience before birth, and if so, why? Mm -hmm. And then I present all the information that came forward in the channeling sessions. So the, the intentions, again, are to help people come out of victim consciousness, help them come into some remembrance that they are more than the body, more than the personality, that they are, in fact, a holy, eternal, courageous soul, and to help them heal from those challenging experiences. Wow. Are there any examples of, um, of some of these that you... Uh, had channeled that you want to share? I mean, I know you have the, um, on your website, there's so much free stuff that we can just read, but is there anything that really wow moments that came to you? Uh, well, one one of the more dramatic stories is in uh, Your Soul's Plan. There's a chapter on the pre-birth planning of accidents, which are not really accidents. And there are two stories in that chapter. One of them is, is a woman named uh, Christina, who is now in her 60s, uh, and her story is that, that many years ago, when she was in her 20s, she was employed as an administrative assistant at Pomona College in Southern California. One of her daily duties in that job was to pick up her boss's mail. The mailboxes were located in the basement of the building in which Christina worked. So on one particular day, just as she had done many, many times before, she descended those stairs to the basement mailboxes. But on this particular day, unbeknownst to Christina, someone had planted a pipe bomb in her boss's mailbox. Wow. So when she inserted her hand to retrieve the mail, the pipe bomb detonated. And the force from this explosion was so great that it actually picked Christina up off the ground and hurled her 10 feet backwards against a concrete wall. There were six foot splinters of wood that were shot like arrows out of a bow into the wall around her. Uh, two fingers were severed, both eardrums were ruptured, oh and flames from the explosion scorched Christina's body from head to toe. When she got to the hospital, doctors actually had to hold magnets over her eyeballs to extract the shrapnel from the pipe. Oh. So we are talking here about a level of suffering that is almost unimaginable yeah, to right. you and me. Now. Her recovery took two years in 10 reconstructive surgeries. At one point during that two-year period, Christina was lying in her hospital bed in a, in a great deal of pain when she suddenly heard a voice inside her head, a voice that was not her own. It turns out that this voice was one of her spirit guides. And apparently what happened is that the force from the explosion, in addition to doing a lot of damage to her body, had opened up her psychic gift. She had become clairaudient. So as she lay there in the hospital that day in so much pain, she heard this voice, her guide, speak to her. And she said to the voice, of course, how did this happen? Why did this happen? 
and her guide said to her, you planned this. And of course she said, why? why? <laughs> yeah. And the guide told her, and here's what the guide said. He said, you wanted, before you were born, to have an incarnation as a gifted healer. And you knew pre-birth that if you could heal yourself from the devastating effects of this bomb explosion, you could then take all of that wisdom and knowledge about healing and turn it outward in service to others. This is, in fact, exactly what happened because after Christina recovered from the 10 reconstructive surgeries, she went on to get a PhD in speech-language pathology. She set up her own private uh, healing practice. And at this point in her career, she has healed literally thousands of people. She actually has the ability to go into a patient's brain energetically, by which I mean non-invasively, and restore language processing capability in people who have lost that due to stroke or accident. So a remarkably gifted healer, and the only reason she can do any of this is because she healed herself from the effects of that bomb explosion. Now, that's not to say that she did this overnight. It took a period of years. She was understandably filled with rage at first toward the bomber. But over a period of years, working with her understanding of her pre-birth plan, she was able to let go of that. Now, when I interviewed her for Your Soul's Plan, she said two remarkable things to me. The first was she said, Rob, I have completely forgiven the person who planted the bomb. And when she says that, she really means it. But then she said something even more amazing. She said, Rob, I am deeply grateful to the person who planted that bomb. Now remember, this is somebody who had magnets held above her eyeballs at the hospital Mm -hmm. to extract the shrapnel from the pipe. And yet here she is saying in complete sincerity that she's grateful to the person who inflicted that kind of suffering on her. This to me is one of the most amazing stories I've seen of what you can do with an awareness of your pre-birth plan. You know, you can well imagine she could have been angry and bitter and resentful for the rest of her life. She might even have devoted her life to tracking down the bomber and taking revenge. But because she came into this understanding of her pre-birth plan and then really worked with it, she got to that place of total forgiveness and then to a place of gratitude. Now, her story is unusual in that it's a bomb. But she herself is not unusual. If she can do it, you can do it and I can do it and everyone listening to this interview can do it in their own lives. Yeah, because we have our, all have our own things that have devastated us and hurt us and people that have. And um, gosh, it's really amazing to turn it, not just forgiveness, but having gratitude. That That is amazing. Yeah, and again, if she if she can do it, anybody listening today can do it in regard to whatever your challenges may have been. Yeah, and um, do we have to know our soul's plan? I mean, is it something that people need to go to a hypnotist and find out? Or, you know, is it something like that? Or what's the best way to empower people, I guess, is the question. Well, I think whether or not somebody needs to know, so to speak, depends upon what their intentions are. Yet you can go a long way simply by coming into the understanding that we are eternal beings who plan our lives in considerable detail before we come here. That'll take somebody quite a ways on that journey to Mm -hmm. forgiveness and that journey to gratitude. Now, the added advantage of knowing the details of your plan, why you plan certain things, is that it allows you to go about learning the underlying lessons in a much more conscious manner. Uh, For example, one of the things I saw over a period of time 
as I wrote the books and as we went into people's pre-birth planning sessions is that the conversations souls had in which they set up big challenges like a bomb explosion or even small challenges, the conversation revolved to a large extent around the soul's desire to cultivate and then express certain qualities which I eventually gave the name divine virtues to. Mm. These are things like unconditional love, patience, empathy, forgiveness, and so on. Over a period of time, I noticed that there were about 27, 28 of them that seemed to come up more often than others. And I compiled a list of these, uh, which is not in the books, but I, I use it in the private counseling work I do in spiritual guidance sessions. And I take people through an exercise that I call the Divine Virtues Exercise, in which uh, in about an hour we can create a grid or a matrix that helps them figure out which two or three they're working on. And the average person is working on two or three, occasionally four or five, but that's very rare. When you know which two or three divine virtues you came into body to work on, then you can go about cultivating them and then expressing them in a much more conscious manner. And it has the effect, it's very powerful both retroactively and proactively. Retroactively, you can review what's happening in your life and understand, I plan this to cultivate these virtues. But proactively, when things that are challenging come up in the future, you just remind yourself, oh yes, I am in this incarnation to deepen in whatever it may be, patience, compassion, and unconditional love. And then knowing that, you ask yourself, all right, given this current challenge, how do I work with it to cultivate and or express those three divine virtues? So it has the effect of immediately assigning deeper meaning to something that on the surface might appear not to have any deeper meaning at all. That's so great. Um, pa patience, compassion, unconditional love, those are some of the virtues. Can you just give us a couple of the other ones just to get a better idea of things we might be coming in here to learn? Well, uh, one that, that uh, you might not guess is something that uh, it was referred to in the pre-birth planning sessions as self-referencing. And what that means is that, you know, I think, Sandra, we live in a historical time period in which the average person is conditioned from a very early age by parents, by teachers at school, and by society at large, to believe that whatever question or problem you have, there is an expert out there somewhere who's got the answer. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is consult the expert and do what they tell you to do. A lot of people live their entire lives in this manner. From the soul's perspective, that is a tremendously disempowered way to live a life. Certain people are working in particular on becoming self-referencing, which means you come to see yourself is the highest and best source of wisdom and knowledge for you. It doesn't mean that you don't consult with others. It doesn't mean that you don't take their suggestions. But what it does mean is that what other people tell you, you run past your own intuitive filter and you decide, is this truth for me? Does this serve me? So if you are working on being self-referencing in, uh, in a lifetime, you would set up certain challenges for yourself that would give you the opportunity to do that and also provide you with the motivation or the inspiration to do that. So self-referencing is another one of the virtues. And then there are things like uh, acceptance, uh, generosity, presence. Uh, those are a few of the others. Well, I think generosity is definitely one of mine. <laughs> mm. um, how about 
I want to just get back to suffering. I know you talked about Christina and her suffering, and I I witnessed my own dad uh, suffering for months before he died of cancer. You know, as a kid, I'd hear people died of cancer, and I thought, oh, okay. But to actually witness it and know that there's so much suffering. Um, it, have you gained any knowledge about uh, what suffering does as far as the divine virtues? And why why our soul would pick that? This is going to sound a little bit harsh, and I, I want people listening to understand I, I don't intend it to, to okay. sound that way. Sorry. Um, there are certain souls who learn best, frankly, by having their hearts broken open through suffering. And souls like that tend to come to Earth and places like Earth because, as I think we would all agree, there are a lot of opportunities here for that to happen. Mm hmm. There's no judgment on the soul level of someone who learns best in this manner or chooses to learn in this manner. You know, everything is allowed in the universe and we all grow in different ways and on different paths. Uh, the Buddha said that it is possible to learn whatever you want to learn through love and joy. But again, some people actually just don't learn best that way. They need the experience of having the heart broken open through suffering so that they can then cultivate those virtues that we talked about a moment ago. And that's where suffering comes into the life plan. Mm, I've witnessed a lot of people, even people in my own life, that change their life around completely after suffering. You know, yes. um, Even a woman that I know who had gotten diagnosed with breast cancer and went through uh, the removal of her breasts and the chemotherapy and radiation and the person that she has now become due to that she says I wouldn't have turned traded that for anything and that that is something that I hear a lot you know if you if you look at the trajectory of somebody who has gone through a lot of suffering in the period immediately after and by immediately after you know it could be several years there's uh, often what you could describe as a downturn in consciousness or a drop in vibration because the person might be immersed in and it could be any number of the so-called negative emotions, you know, anger, uh, lack of forgiveness, blame, self-blame, uh, and so on. But the trajectory over a longer period of time is that the person comes out of that phase, having had their heart broken open through the suffering, and then their vibration rises, and they come into this period of cultivating whatever virtues they've come into body to cultivate, and then turning them outward usually in some form of service to others. In the pre-birth plans that I've examined, this component of service to others was present in one form or another and to one degree or another in literally every single pre-birth plan I've ever looked at. The plan is to come into body, experience some kind of hardship that often results in the heart breaking open and the person cultivating certain virtues. And then once the virtue is cultivated, from the soul's perspective, that's not sufficient. The soul wants to have the experience of expressing the virtue in physical form, in some form of service to others. And so when people come to me and they say, you know, I'm not fulfilled in the work that I'm doing, and I hear this all the time, what should I do with my life? I always say, I can't tell you specifically what to do, but let's review the course of your life and the challenges you've gone through and the suffering you've experienced. Let's see if we can discern which of this, these virtues on this list here you have cultivated. And then, once we know that, let's talk about 
what sorts of opportunities there are in your life that would allow you to offer these virtues that you've cultivated in a joyful way in some form of service to others. And that kind of guidance helps people figure out what path to take. I remember reading somewhere, uh, somebody had an exercise and that people were to list the worst things that have ever happened to them. And so, you know, I did the exercise as well. And then she had us write why it was the worst thing that ever happened to us. And then she had us put on another hat, why it was the best thing that ever happened to us, meaning what did we learn out of it? And I tell you what, from the, some of the things that I've blamed people for the most and some of the hardest times of my life, by looking at it, and it sounds like looking through the lens of your divine virtues, I mean, it was, they were incredible. And oftentimes things repeated, and, it, it, and it's making sense now that it's not just, you know, I mean, like you really get something after learning it a few times and actually experiencing it a few well, times. And- it's interesting you should mention that because that is a pattern that I see very often in people I work with. I'll, I'll share an interesting story with you regarding that. Uh, this is not in either of my books, but I, I worked with a woman who, uh, at the time we worked together, she was in her 40s, but she shared a story with me that took place when she was in her 20s. Uh, at that time, she had a young daughter. The, the daughter, I believe, was seven years old. And she and her daughter went to a swimming pool during the summer. And this woman was lying in a lounge chair in the sun. The daughter was playing in the water in the pool. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, this girl jumped up out of the water, ran over to her mother. And mind you, this is a child who previously had never said anything unusual. She said, you're not waking up the way you and I planned before we were born. So you're going to have to have a really bad accident. Well, <gasps> the, yeah. The mother was aghast, partly at the thought of having to have an accident, partly because her daughter was saying such strange things. But wouldn't you know it, sure enough, a short time thereafter, she had a car accident, which did not trigger a spiritual awakening. Then about a year later, she had a second and worse car accident, which did not trigger a spiritual awakening. And then about a year later, she had a third and even worse car accident, which finally triggered a spiritual awakening. So this kind of pattern where something comes back and especially comes back in increasingly intense form Mm -hmm. each time that is your soul and the universe hitting you over the head with a cosmic two by four and really trying to get your attention if you notice that kind of pattern in your life look at it very closely because the universe is really trying to tell you something Oh, it's amazing. And, but that, that you talking about the daughter, first of all, I gave me goosebumps when you said that. Mm -hmm. Um, do we make agreements with other people? Like, I mean, there's a, a ton of anger and disagreements and problems with individuals. And, you know, we have to spend our whole lives with other people. Do we say, hey, okay, you play this role so you can learn this and I'll play this role so you can learn this? That is, that is very much how it's done. That's not to say that we are automatons who are uh, just robotically fulfilling a script. We all have right. free will and we can choose to deviate from what has been planned anytime we want to, as much or as little as we want to. But there are certain uh, circumstances that are planned prior to birth. You know, children choose their parents, parents choose the children. Uh, We get together with all the significant people who are going to be in the upcoming lifetime. We talk about what we want to learn, and then we ask people to play different roles to facilitate the learning. So people, the people who challenge us the most uh, even people who would we, we would regard as being abusive to us, 
very, very often, not always, but very often, those roles have been agreed upon prior to birth. And then when you meet up with the person at the end of a lifetime and you remember that it was part of a plan, then it's a completely different experience. And people often express gratitude to the other for challenging them as they did and for helping them to learn what they wanted to learn. Wow. Yeah, I'm as you're saying it, you know, all the players in my family and things that happened around my dad's death, it's like I think we're going to all give each other a high five that, you know, well done, you know, exactly. <laughs> by our That's arguments exactly right. and our suffering, look what we caused and you know, because the truth is really, you know, without the hardships of my dad dying, I wouldn't have learned about grief and I wouldn't have my book and I wouldn't be speaking right. and, you know, and so many people are getting healing because of my journey. And, and I think, um, you know, any one of us can look back on, on things in, that have happened in our life. And if somebody's listening right now and you've got the, the victim hat on, you know, just really think, you know, what if this was planned? And I, I know one thing is for sure to have the hat on of being responsible and I plan this um, gets us back in life you know I mean people can spend years being a victim to their death and it's it's not very attractive and and the way to phrase the question is exactly the way you just phrased it it's what if I planned this why might I have done that so you don't necessarily have to believe in pre-birth planning you can not believe in it or you can just be unsure what to make of it but simply by asking the question what if I planned this? Why might I have done that? That question, regardless of what your actual belief is, immediately takes you to that deeper layer of meaning. It immediately helps you to, to get to those underlying lessons. Yeah, I really love that. Thanks for sharing that. Do we, um, I'm guessing we plan our own deaths too. We do. Uh, my understanding is that it's planned in the form of what are often called exit points. So we all have several exit points. They're scattered throughout the lifetime. Okay. Uh, and a soul would take an exit point in one of two circumstances. One would be the soul feels that uh, it's completed what it came here to do, and so it's simply time to go home. The other set of circumstances is the opposite. The soul concludes that it will not be able to do what it came here to do. And so the soul is not interested in wasting energy. It's best to just end the incarnation and start over. Now, there are some exceptions to this. For example, uh, in my first book, uh, Your Soul's Plan, there's a chapter about the pre-birth planning of alcoholism and drug addiction. And the drug addiction story is about a young man uh, named Tony who plans prior to birth to have a heroin addiction for purposes of his own. And then he goes to the soul who eventually agreed to become his mother tells her of the plan and basically says to her would you agree to be the mother who shepherds me through this very difficult experience but what we found out in the channeling session is that Sharon his mother was a highly evolved soul who actually did not need to come into back into body she was done with the cycle of reincarnation but because they had shared many lives together and there was so much love between them already in service to Tony, she said, yes, I will be the mother who guides you through this. And so uh, for her, you know, the concept of exit points is therefore a little bit different because she's coming in focused on him and not out of a need for her own growth and learning. Wow. Two questions are coming out of this. I have this vision of so many parents that you lose a long, young child. Um, any 
it, I mean, I'm coming up with my own thoughts about that, that either a soul can't do what it came to do, so I'm out of here, or maybe it's a, some kind of an agreement so that the parent gets some soul growth out of it. I, I think more often the latter if it's the death of a child because you know there's a lot of redundancy built into life plans by which I mean that uh, there isn't just one opportunity to do something or to learn something and then if, if you don't get it you know that's it for this lifetime mm -hmm. might as well go home there's there's a plan A but then there's backup plan B C D E F and on and on so most likely it wouldn't be until much later in life that the soul would feel all right you know what I had intended here simply isn't occurring uh, for a child who hasn't had time to get to the called backup plans I think it's much more often the case that the child wanted before coming into body to have a short incarnation for his or her own purposes and it's coordinated with the parents to serve their growth and learning and it's it's exactly the sort of thing we've talked about already where a soul seeks the experience of having the heart broken open and what more powerful way to do that than through losing a child uh -huh. and then through that very painful experience the person is going to cultivate certain divine virtues which that person will hopefully then offer in some form of joyful service to others that's great I I have a vision I don't know if I'll ever write this book but a book for kids especially ones that have cancer or illness that they're really these superheroes and they came into this earth I mean even if, if it is for a short time just like really what a blessing they can be teaching others about life and the gift they are to others so I just got a vision of that the little kid with a superhero cape on that um, even and though I their life that, was short yeah. yeah I think that's exactly the way it is yeah um, how about this cycle of reincarnation when you just spoke about uh, this woman that she didn't need to come back um, it, <laughs> couple things when we reincarnate are we kind of waiting for all the players of this life to all meet up and then we debrief before coming in again and uh, your thoughts anyways and, and as far as um, how often do we keep coming back and I guess there is there a point that we've learned enough and what happens then my understanding is that the, the number of lifetimes required varies considerably uh, just depending basically on how quickly somebody learns the lessons. Uh, in, in terms of waiting for players to come together, mm -hmm. that, that does happen. There's a story like that actually in my second book, Your Soul's Gift, there's a story about the pre-birth planning of poverty and the person who is the subject of that chapter is a gentleman who was born into a very poor family uh, in Nicaragua and one of the ways in which this plan comes about is that all the major souls in his soul group had already uh, planned to have this incarnation in Nicaragua and to be in a family together and then he decided relatively late in the process that he wanted to join them and so some of the motivation for taking on the poverty in this lifetime was quite simply the desire just to be with those souls once again there was more to it than that but that was a large part of the planning so sometimes there is this sort of waiting and coordination so that we can be together with souls who we uh, have worked with so to speak many times in the past and then in other instances we feel like we want to have a different experience uh, work with other souls who we may not have worked with at all or very little and so we we don't wait for other members uh, of the group who we've been with many times we 
embark on a new adventure with some souls that we haven't worked with much before. That's very interesting. My, my, you know, because we haven't spoken before, I think a lot of this is new to me, and I feel like these little popcorn pops or keep popping in different areas like oh how about this how about this it's really really a good conversation um and i oh there was a book that i read uh it's called marriage dead or alive and although i'm a single girl not married it was coming from like as the spiritual aspect of marriage and i think we could use this for any relationship but it kind of ties in when you you know when you're in a really close-knit relationship with someone for the good and for the bad just how much growth and learning we each get because we've got you know the same players in life you know mm-hmm. exactly exactly hmm. well if i may i'd like to sure. um, i'd like to share a little bit with your listeners about and we touched on it uh, briefly earlier the between lives soul regression and the council of elders sure. um one of the things that I'm most often asked and that I imagine people listening to this conversation would like to know is how do I find out what I planned before I was born? Yeah. So there are a number of ways that you can do this. Um, the books that I wrote were researched with the assistance of mediums and channels. That's always an option. Uh, you, numerology can provide insight. Astrology can provide insight. But the the most powerful means that I know of as a direct experience is what is called a between life soul regression. It's a form of hypnosis, very safe and very natural, mm -hmm. uh, somewhat similar to a standard past life regression in that we, we actually start with going into a past life, but whereas the past life regression would end at the end of the past life, the client keeps going. So part of their consciousness transitions from the end of the past life back into spirit and then at that point, a lot of different things can happen. But what I see in my practice is that about 80% of clients are greeted by one of their spirit guides. They talk briefly with the guide as to why they were shown that particular past life and how it impacted the plan for the current lifetime. And then at that point, again, a lot of different things can happen. But generally, the guide will escort the person to the Council of Elders uh, as I mentioned, these are the beings who oversee the cycle of reincarnation on Earth. They are very wise, very loving, completely non-judgmental. Getting in front of the Council is potentially a life-changing experience because the Council knows everything about a person. They know everything that you have planned for the current lifetime, and they know everything about all your other lifetimes. So if it's for your highest good, they can answer any question you have on any subject. Now, they don't always do that. Sometimes it's best for the person not to get an answer to a particular question. But generally, they are very forthcoming. And some people have the experience of getting an answer to every single question they ask. And they find out in detail uh, what they planned for this lifetime, why they created those plans. They find out exactly why they chose their parents, their siblings, friends, enemies, if they've had enemies. Uh, romantic partners. Uh, they find out a little bit about the plans that those people had and how they can help them to fulfill those plans. So, and it's, I can't emphasize enough the importance of the direct experience aspect. You know, it's not somebody else uh, just telling you what they discern about your life plan. It's actually being there talking to the council. People always talk about the overwhelming unconditional love and complete mm -hmm. non-judgment of the council. And so 
in addition to finding out a lot about the life plan, it gives the person an experiential knowing of themselves as soul. They they have a sense that this is the real me, this this consciousness that is here on the other side talking to the council. This is who I really am. And the part of myself that I usually see day to day, the body, the personality, the thoughts, the feelings, those are just things that I have in this lifetime. They're things that I carry, but they're not with me. You know, it's kind of like uh, if you have a horse. If you have a horse, that doesn't mean that you are a horse. It simply means that you have a horse. Mm -hmm. And so by the same token, just because you have a body, you have a personality, you have thoughts, you have feelings, that doesn't mean that you are those things. You're not. You have them but they are not you. And so people come out of the between life soul regression with the experience of uh, knowing themselves as an eternal being. I love that. Where do we get a between life soul regression? There's one of you and there's you know, 7 billion people on the planet. <laughs> well, I'm not the only practitioner, but for people who are interested, you uh -huh. can read about it on my website at okay. yoursoulsplan.com. Uh, there's a lot of information there and a, a number of client accounts of their sessions describing what they saw and what they were told and how it affected their lives. Uh, I think that that portion of the information would be most helpful to people. Mm. Can I ask you what your the divine virtues are that you came into this life for? Well, one of them uh, is courage and specifically uh, having the courage to speak my truth uh, but in a kind and loving manner. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm aware of having two past lives in which when I had my life review, I felt that I had not succeeded in doing that. One of these past lives was in uh, Atlantis. And apparently, I was an Atlantean citizen who was opposed to the atrocities being committed by the Atlantean government, but did not have the courage to speak out against that. And then a similar thing happened in Nazi Germany. I was a German citizen who was opposed to what the Nazis were doing. But again, I didn't have the courage to speak my truth. I didn't speak out against it. And so when I looked at these two lifetimes in combination with each other, I felt, all right, there is something I still need to learn about courageously speaking my truth, but doing so uh, with loving kindness. And so if you think about what I'm doing in this lifetime, to put forward the idea that we plan our biggest challenges prior to birth, this is certainly not part of mainstream thinking yet. No. And coming as I do from a very mainstream family, uh, I don't think I'm being immodest if I'd say it took some courage to make the shift from being a mainstream person in a mainstream family to someone who is willing to stand up in front of an audience and say, I believe that we plan our biggest challenges before we were born. Um, I don't know that that's quite the equivalent of speaking out against the Nazis in Nazi Germany, but certainly the underlying lesson is there of speaking one's truth uh, in a courageous manner. And I sure know the impact of fear and sometimes how hard it is even to pick up the phone for a conversation you don't want to have or, you know, how brutal fear can be and how powerful when you step into it and become courageous, that is, no matter how you, you do it. What gives you, um, just, were you going to say something? So I don't interrupt oh, no, no. you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, what's, because we're just, our time is coming to an end pretty soon, but what gives you the most passion now? Uh, well, doing the, the between lives regressions, because I, I could see the effect 
that that has on people's lives. Uh, you know, people will come into those sessions feeling uh, depressed or anxious or hopeless uh, or just generally lost and not seeing any deeper meaning really in their experiences. And then uh, if they're able to talk with the council, they there can be almost a complete turnaround, a 180 degree shift. And so it, it's not that the external circumstances suddenly change and everything is better overnight, but that they have a completely different perspective on the external circumstances. And so over time, because their perspective has shifted, then the circumstances change as well. But even before they do, uh, they just look at their lives in a completely different way. And then I'll hear, you know, I'll get emails from people weeks or months down the road talking about what a difference it made and how healing it was. And that is tremendously, tremendously gratifying. Wow. Um, any closing thoughts or any closing advice you want to give to your listeners, myself included as one of them? <laughs> well, you you know, my first book, uh, Your Soul's Plan, before a publisher picked it up, I self-published it, and it was under the title Courageous Souls. And that title, Courageous Souls, was not intended to be a reference to the soul. It was actually intended to be a reference to the incarnate personality, you and me and everyone listening today, because I think that it takes a tremendous amount of courage to execute a life plan once one has come into body. And so when I give talks about pre-birth planning, I often say this, and a lot of times somebody will say something like, well, Rob, how can I look at myself as a courageous being or a courageous soul? when there's so much fear in my life. I'm afraid so much of the time. And the answer to that very good question is that every single person listening to this conversation today knew before coming into body that fear was going to be a big part of the package. There was no way that you could not have known that. So I would submit to your listeners that only the courageous plan fear. And let me say that again because this is a vitally important point. Only the courageous plan fear. So, you know, when you have that moment of wondering what the heck you're doing here, wondering uh, if maybe you should just give it up and go home, back to the other side, this is the moment to, and I encourage people to literally do this, go to a mirror, look into your own eyes, and remind yourself of who you really are. Say to yourself, I am a holy, eternal, courageous soul. I am the brave soul who left a realm of love and light and peace and joy to come here into body to experience great challenges in order to cultivate these divine virtues and offer them in service to others. Because that's really and truly who each and every one of you really is. Wow, I can't thank you enough for being on this show today, Rob. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Oh, and I have this vision that I just want to share with you, and it is people... Um, in the past in those last moments of of life can often look back and we see the things that we haven't done the conversations we should have had we see the regrets we see the life lived as a victim uh, and and we can very often close our eyes for the last time here on planet earth and not being so empowered and i just really want to acknowledge you because what you've created and now in 22 languages and speaking all over the globe is a new 
way and it may take some time but I can now see people closing their eyes for the last time looking back on their life really getting it like yep I did that I did that I'm proud of this I did this yeah I could have used a little bit more of that but that's okay and realizing that they played full out and they got their money's worth out of this lifetime before well, thank you for saying that if I can have that impact on the world then then I'll look back on my life as having been well spent yeah and they say all the people that I've interviewed that have had near-death experiences they see um, you know when we have this flashback of our life and our life review uh, not just the the impact the impacts we've had on others but they say the the positive things you really see the ripple effect of how your actions uh, really changed people's lives and so I my hope for you is you know you have a long life because you've got a lot to give but that you really get the impact that you've made with so many people so you're awesome you're awesome 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 thank you yeah. and i might say all the same things to you thank you and we planned this ahead of time before yes. we came in and so for our listener you're awesome too and thank you once again for giving your hour to us and being part of our our journey and you can go uh see Rob Schwartz's website at YourSoulsPlan.com and I remind you to visit WeDon'tDieRadio.com because there's lots of good episodes of all kinds of people and lastly just again thanks for listening um, look yourself in the mirror and only the courageous plan fear I absolutely love that you know and get that you are an eternal soul having a human experience and um, and it's all good you know, I hope this episode's left you empowered. So in closing, this is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. And I do believe that your life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So make it a great day and thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.